0: Hey, welcome to High Resolution, my name is Bobby Goshell.
1: And I'm Jared Arandu.
0: Every week we sit down with a design master, every week we ask them a lot of the same questions because we want to learn from them. We want to learn how these amazing people build the products that they build. How do they hire? Who do they talk to inside of the company? How do they talk about their work? These are important questions mm-hmm. and today we're going to ask these questions of a veteran of the design industry. Who
1: is it? That's Maria Judice. She's a VP of Design here at Autodesk. She's going to tell us how an artist can become a CEO what a design executive officer looks like, a DEO, and she's going to tell us the skills any designer can build today to become an effective leader.
0: Uh, Well, listen, we also might have cussed a little bit in this episode. If you've got kids around you, please pause here, come back to this episode later. Um, I don't know if we bleeped it out or not. We're not there in our editing queue yet, but if we did, oh well. If we didn't, oh well. It's still a great episode. You're going to have a lot of fun. We'll be right back.
2: For decades, design has impacted how we live. Now it's beginning to shape how we work. Here at IBM, design thinking has given us a new framework for teaming, for co-creating with our clients and users. It's helping us make decisions faster and it's keeping humans at the center of everything we do.
1: All right, Maria, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. All right. So first question. What's one thing about design that's clear to you that you don't think is clear to other people? Mm,
3: yeah. I think um, I kind of talk about this uh, a lot in that, you know, I kind of grew up at a time when, well, first of all, people don't understand design. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you say, what do you do for a living and you say design, what comes to mind? What would you say? If I said I, I'm well, doing design. so I'm
1: a designer, design. so it's, it's, oh, it's different. Oh,
3: you me. don't count. It's but me. what would hey. you say?
1: I recently typed in design into the keyboard and Apple Predictive gave me a paintbrush emoji.
3: Exactly. That's exactly it. Is that, you know, people, when they say, when you say you're a designer, they automatically go to like an artifact, Mm, like an outcome, right? And the truth about design is the outcome is the shortest piece of the process, right? There's this whole process of thinking about design and understanding customers and, and people and, and, And serving their needs and the artifact becomes sort of the the representation of that solution or need so the biggest uh, misnomer about design that it's just like this thing that a few people do Mm -hmm. right and they will go to like whether it's a book or it's a website or something they think of it oh you make that thing Mm -hmm. but design to me um, and that's the noun of design, but the, the value of design is in the verb of design.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You, know, it's, it's, you know, it's making something to change and have an impact on people's lives. And so that is, I think, the biggest um, misrepresentation of what design means. It's really not just about the artifact. It's the thinking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think they, people um, over-index over, uh, on doing, but design is about thinking and doing. Mm -hmm. which is why I hate the term design thinking. (laughs) So we can go there if you want, but I could go on a whole rant on design thinking.
0: No, but it's interesting because I actually think the thinking and the doing helps lower the bar just a little bit. The yeah. the, the Maybe not the bar, lowers the barrier of entry a yeah. little bit for people who don't consider themselves designers but yes. do know how to think, Yes. right? They don't know the tools, but they know how to think well, right? Yes. They're they're analytical, they're thoughtful, right. they don't move fast, they move slow, right? right? Um, well,
3: that goes down to the also the other uh, sort of misnomer, which is um, who, you know, there's design and yeah. then there are designers. Right. And so... Do you have to go to art school to have and have a degree in order to be a designer? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, you know, design is is kind of a, a mindset. It's a way of life. And when I joined Autodesk here, one of the first talks I gave was to really change people's um, definition and mindset about what design means. Mm -hmm. And I basically said, you're all shipping product. You are all designers. Mm -hmm. You look at the problem differently. If you're an engineer, you're looking at the problem differently. If you're a researcher, if you're a product owner, you're all looking at the problem differently, but we're working together in collaboration to create something on behalf of a person. Mm -hmm that means you are all designers. So design and designing and designers I feel like is often misunderstood.
0: So you've 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 written an interesting book called mm-hmm. The Rise of the DEO, mm-hmm. which which we have here, Two which we're going to get you we're going to get you to Science. exactly yeah. HSN moment. He's <laughs> <laughs> um, it, got a baby on the cover. I, like oh, that's that. I whole, love that. You
3: didn't you got to ask about the baby story. All
0: right, we'll get. Do um, you know the, know the baby? The baby baby. No, I don't story. know the baby, but oh,
3: it okay. has something right. to do with drinking. Oh, I can't oh, wait. So okay. it can, this can be full circle.
1: <laughs> <funny>. At the <laughs>
3: end, you can talk about the baby, and we will be drunk, and then it will tie things
0: together well so you co-author this with with christopher mm-hmm. ireland mm-hmm. um and you guys coined a very interesting term mm-hmm. d-e-o yes which was like weird when i first saw it yeah i thought it, is weird. I th- I thought it was a typo well yeah. i thought it was a no well, no i didn't even go there D-L i was god well d oh, is right, oh. there. No, yeah. Yeah, right yeah. next yeah. to the c and i thought it was you meant to type in CEO, but no you literally yeah. meant d yeah right? So, right um so first yes what is a DEO, and then how do you contrast that with a ceo
3: yeah well i think of the deo as somebody is a change agent who looks at all problems as design problems solvable through this combination of analytics and metrics and they are they have very unique characteristics over traditional ceos so these are leaders who have special superpowers Um, Which are ignited through sort of characteristics that designers share Mm. that look and solve problems and lead companies and lead people in a very, very different way than traditional CEOs. Mm. And it came out of the inspiration um, when I was running Hot Studio. So I was CEO of Hot Studio. Uh, Hot Studio was um, an interaction full service from strategy to uh, developing products a full service company, and um, it, I grew that company from one to about 100 people over a 15 year period. And I was asked to do a TED talk, TEDx talk, about you know the the, the intersection between design and business. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying something to somebody like, I don't do anything special. It's like, I don't know, I don't have anything to contribute to this conversation. And a woman said to me, Maria, I've talked to so many different leaders, and you do everything completely different than other people. I had no idea. And she said, you know, you're not a CEO, you're a DEO. So um, she coined the phrase DEO. Yeah. The company was called Tech Talks, Mm. and I was using them. Do you know Tech Talks?
1: I mean, I've heard of it. Yeah. So
3: So Kevin Kevin and Christy run Tech Talks, and Mm. I was leveraging them for... You know, uh, coaching mm-hmm. for um, speaking, and Christie coined that term, mm. and that's when it stuck. It's like, oh, you mean I do things differently than other people?
0: What are those different things, though? So where's the contrast between a CEO and a CEO
3: DEO? and DO? Well, um, it's it's uh, it's incredibly different, and when you think about traditional CEOs, uh, and especially CEOs in public companies, mm. their whole World, their whole mission is to maximize investment for shareholders, right? Um, but DEOs really are in it for uh, p- purpose. They they usually are very mission driven. They um, they're in it to because they care deeply about people and they wanna they wanna uh, solve their needs, right? They look for this combination of good product market fit and really kind of solving something that can benefit somebody, whether it's very small, like connecting people together, or something big, which is like curing cancer. Mm. So DEOs have a cre- put a creative lens on why and how they run their businesses. And they run their businesses uh, very differently than traditional CEOs. So the first thing is um, DEOs love chaos and change, mm. which is the complete opposite of CEOs, which is about predictability and managing risk, oh. right? So they love the concept and the messiness that comes with change because it's incredibly messy and um, can be unpredictable, but they thrive in that in that space. Um, and when it comes to taking risk, they know how to take risks that are intelligent and th- they know how to push it so that they don't put their company under. Right. But CEOs are very risk adverse. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they need to have uh, you know, rationale and numbers to make decision. They often the way they think is much more about you know horizons and very linear. Where DEOs are systems oriented, so they're non-linear. So they don't go from like H one to H two. They go, I'm going to go here and there, and this thing that has to happen, you know, in two years, we need to connect that to this thing. It's not a straight path because you have to go through this thing so they they kind of are much more uh, interconnected and they think of themselves they think of the system and the impact on the system yeah. um, where I think CEOs are much more cause and effect cause and effect and then um, the other thing about uh, CEOs and this is going to become increasingly more relevant in business and you see a lot of articles coming out about this is the importance of social intelligence the importance of being incredibly people-centered so the traditional ceo you know there was a huge wall between your customers and the people inside the company but with the internet there's no such thing as a wall there's no there's no way you can the people inside the company are not able to influence your customers and vice versa right Good companies are listening to their customers and adapting to change. So there's not a wall. There's not this like, here's what we do inside, and and this is what we tell our customers. Mm-hmm. So a DEO is very empathetic, but looks at you know, looks at their customer. They look at their customers, their employees, the community, the world in context, and they're incredibly driven by. Um, Um, you know making a difference in people's lives and then two other things um, is you know in business the importance of analytics right everything you know Mark Zuckerberg used to say data solves arguments in a lot of ways that's very very true Um, but you can't you can't solve a problem just by looking at data Because data tells you the what, it doesn't tell you the why. Mm. So a DEO is looking at the data, and at some point they're going to make a gut decision. They're going to have this sort of qualitative decision, and it's not going to be based on data. So they are very comfortable between being intuitive and creative, but also being analytical. They they navigate that space a lot. Um, And then the very, very last thing that DEOs do is that... I think they feel that life is short, so they're there to get shit done. Mm. They're very, very purposeful, and they're very driven to actually making an impact. So this is the DEO characteristics, and it's really interesting when we, when we did the research and we identified these traits, and we put the book out, or we st- I started talking about the DEO. People that I knew came out of the woodwork and said thank you right. because I never really associated myself with that label or this label. Yeah. I now associate with this whole population of people that act and behave a certain way that there was no there was no there was no definition around. Right. So that's the DEO.
1: And you said in this same book too that these set of skills sometimes are developed in art school.
3: So, yeah. So um, or not in art school, but it's going back to that shift that when I was talking early about that. Mindset shift about design, mm-hmm. that design is about the act of change, yeah, right? Yeah. And when you when I talk about being a change agent, a risk taker, a systems thinking, getting shit done, mm-hmm. caring about people and using your intuition, those are all things I learned in art school, mm-hmm. all of those things, mm-hmm. right? If you are a good designer, you have to do all of those things. Mm-hmm. So that's where, um, you know... Finding myself as a CEO of a large company, which was a design studio, I had to be—I had to have a business hat lens and I had to have a designer lens. Mm-hmm. And I realized that they're not two separate highways; they're not disassociated at all. They blend together. And these skills that I learned in business were all from art school. I never got a degree in business. I never got an MBA. Um, I feel like I have looking at my, you know, uh, legacy. I've made some great business decisions Mm -hmm. my whole life. Mm -hmm. It's not accidental, Mm -hmm. right? It's because I've had these characteristics that I just applied to business.
0: Just to be clear, you said non accidental, not accidental. Oh, what did I say? No, I just want to make sure that (laughs) everyone heard it. I want to make sure people heard it. So you're you're saying it wasn't an accident that Mm -hmm. it was tuned by everything you learned in art. Yeah,
3: it wasn't. It's not this a lucky break right exactly. right it's this when you think about like treating I I treat every every decision in my life like a design problem I have two kids i you know I run my household just like I run Autodesk which my husband really hates he hates this <laughs> when I say that but you treat every problem like a design problem yeah. and and you and and that's the superpower mm-hmm. um, and that's I think, a, sometimes a threat to traditional business people mm. and they look at somebody like me and they're like you know you, you know I, you didn't go to you know Harvard Business mm-hmm. School like I did or you mm-hmm. um, but you know I have the legacy to prove that I've made really smart business decisions using these criteria
1: so when you uh, argue for design-led teams right yeah. do you often find business people rolling their eyes <laughs> and, and if so like what do you actually tell them to get them on board
3: um,
1: it's a brave question you ask because of all the alcohol you I use. know. Do you want,
3: do you want the um, rated G answer or do you want the rated Rx answer? Give us what you want to give us. Yeah, give, give us the Rx. Yeah. Give us the Rx. No, no, no. Well, first of all, I try not to divide people that way right? So it's so easy in companies to put people in categories. Mm. They put them in the, you're the business person, and here's the boundaries mm. in terms of you have to work. You're the designer, you only get this, and you're the developer, this is your job, mm. right? Mm. And that's the problem in traditional technology companies is they they put these um, boundaries on people mm. versus here's the problem we have to solve, what's your prote- your take, what's your take, what's your take? And I think for me why I've been really successful starting in Hot Studio where I had clients is I never really labeled them as the business voice. I labeled them as a collaborator who understands what their goals are on behalf of their customers. So for me, I've always been, I've never felt like I've had to become, speak the business language, Mm -hmm. which you'll hear a lot of people say that. Well, you're a designer. You're gonna learn how to talk to business people. I'm like, well, how about you just, understands the context Mm -hmm. and frame the problem differently so you don't label it a business problem or a design problem. Mm -hmm. That said, I have had people roll their eyes. Mm -hmm. And because I think they come in with preconceived notions when they need a designer, they're going to come in with preconceived, especially, and I joined Autodesk. You're going to get people who are like, oh, you're the designer. You're the one who's so generative. You never make decisions. Like, you know, people start putting these labels and then they, Create these personas based on what they think that person is, and so you you need to know that going in, and then you need to break that. You got to break that shit down. Um, You know, you just you just. I just. I don't even feel like I have to do. I have to do it.
1: So so if it's not a. if you're not pitching it to them as like teams, you're not and you're no like, drinking, Bobby. Oh, <laughs> yeah, God. you got to catch I mean, up. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> your your questions
3: aren't as interesting. <laughs> I'm a lightweight. I know. You're gonna I'm gonna get I'm, me in I trouble in about that. Totally
0: <laughs> That's hilarious.
1: Okay. So if you're not pitching it to them as uh, teams or like you know these functions that are siloed off to each yeah. other, then I imagine the the argument is it's a perspective that needs to be added when a decision's being made, yeah. right? So what perspective are you telling them a designer actually brings to to a problem?
3: Hmm. Um well first of all, I don't I ask good I ask a lot of questions if I don't understand so I don't pretend to come in and know you know what the product market fit is but I know what product market fit is so I think I think you have to know you have to understand the world in which you're working with your collaborators right so um so in, when the business person comes in and they're using taxonomy and language and they're looking at their tools and they're making business decisions, I have to be able to understand enough so I can have a, a conversation with them, right? Same with technology. Like I have to, I, I, back in the old days when websites were gray, I used to code my own websites. I used to contact Linda Wyman and figure out how to download the 216 color web safe color palette. (laughs) Right? So I had that context. So I have enough knowledge about technology where I can have an intelligent conversation, (laughs) but I don't go deep enough to fool myself. So you have to know enough uh, in order to have those conversations. And then I don't have to tell them anything, Mm -hmm. right? It's really about... And then I feel like it's their responsibility or it's my responsibility to educate them about what design means. And not necessarily say, a designer does this and these are the processes that you have to follow. It's much more about my job is to be the unrelenting, 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 is that the unrelenting, word? Unrelenting, yes. Unrelent, um, customer advocate. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I come in with the point of view that how are we serving our customers? What do they need, want, and desire from us? How can we help improve their lives? So I don't even talk about design. I might not even mention the D word. I would just come in and say, "What's our strategy? Who are your customers, and how, based on what we have to offer them, what is the value exchange?" So I, I, I use, I inject language that is that they they so they don't feel like i'm not coming in and going well we need a persona and it's going to take three weeks like once i start going into the design language i lose them
0: yeah 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 Talk, right speak, yeah. speak their language
3: yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah well you speak a language under, and understand the landscape of the people that you're working with. Right.
0: So yeah.
1: there's a lot of touchy designers. There's the D word, design. And yeah. There's also the C word, creativity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you think creativity can be summoned? And like when you're interacting with non-designers in these teams, like are you are you sitting with them and working with them to yeah, help?
3: Yeah, I think, well, I, the way I say, everybody's born creative. Every single one of us. You you woke up, dro- you, you, were, <laughs> you were sketching, right? Yes.
1: Did you say wake up drunk? You wake up drunk. I didn't mean you wake up drawing. I didn't say wake
3: up drunk, but you might have woken up drunk. I don't know. But you you grew up with a pen in your hand. Remember when we were young and we didn't have any judgments about the work that we did and our parents loved everything that we did and hung it on a wall? That's exercising our creativity without abandon, right? And what happens is something changes in the fourth grade. In the fourth grade, you start start um, diverging. You start, somebody starts moving more towards math. The, the, the outcasts move to design and yeah. art, yes. you know, and some people move to science. And suddenly they're in trajectories and they're not necessarily um, exercising their creative muscle, or maybe they are, but in a very different context, right? right? So creativity is a muscle that has to be um, exercised and you never lose it it goes dormant so creativity the goal is to actually remind people that everybody's born creative and there are methods that you can do to bring out people's creativity and use tools that aren't um, um, overwhelming to them so you know designers love post-it notes they love I love I always advocate right on the walls Mm. like use tools that everybody can use so there's no judgments or you create the conditions so that people's creativity can come out you have to create a safe environment and there's ways in which you can bring out creativity that they don't so that and we don't even call. we won't call it we're bringing out your creativity you know we're just the goal is to get people to leverage their ideas and not put any judgments on that, to create a safe environment where you can throw out those crazy ideas and celebrate them. And then that's when coming full circle, when people start realizing that they are designers after all because they actually are creative.
0: Do you you have, when you walk into a room with people that, You need to be creative in the moment. Do you have like any exercises or anything that
1: you do with them? Yeah. turn off the lights or something. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah, we do shots. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Gets everybody. By the way, this is very. Baseline. Isn't this good? It's it's delicious. Yes. But
0: this is a very underestimated way to get people to start being creative because this does the one thing you need people to do. When, well, let their guard down? For, for people that are listening, I'm talking about the alcohol. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just to be clear. Uh, yeah, if they let their guard down, They right? have to let
3: their guard down. You exactly. have to create the safe environment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a ton of tricks that you did. I mean, when at Hot, we, we do like warm-ups where we would go around the room and like, you know, what's a little-known secret about you? Mm-hmm. Which always is a great starter, right? Because yeah. suddenly it's taking the focus off of you know, what we're trying to accomplish and my role here mm. with I wanna understand you better as a human being. Mm. Right. So how do you get to that space as quickly as possible? Yeah. What are the things you can do so people like could exercise the humanity mm. and then get to get get their, you know, you have to get them out of their job title, yeah. their yeah. their um, org, you have to get them out of that. Yeah. And you say like, we're all baseline, and here's the pa- here's what we want to accomplish in this one or two hours in the meeting, and you get you have to get them to a place where they can feel comfortable to throw out ideas.
0: Yeah, you're well known now for having founded Hot Studio, which yeah. you brought up a few minutes ago. Yeah, um, you sold Hot Studio to Facebook. Congratulations, I know. well done. I wow. heard. We cheers. Well done. I know. Well done. <laughs> all right. Well done. Uh, we heard. We heard. Um, from Kate Aronowitz, because she was there when that happened. She's on this, by the way. You're going to like her episode. Kate, a lot.
3: I love you so much. Look at I like this. <laughs> Shout out. Yeah. Um, Kate is so, amazing.
0: She is amazing. And wait is, till you watch yeah. her episode. It, uh, it's in two weeks. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's
3: amazing. And um, she was one of the. F- First and true champions that I had at Facebook.
0: Well, so so she talked about the transition of yeah. getting hot students. Like that was one of her big personal big yes. moments of yeah. of change. But I don't even want to go there right now. Okay. What I want to talk about is what business did an art school student have starting a business?
3: <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking? Yeah,
0: yeah why? Yeah.
3: The, the dirty little secret about starting your own business is that most people don't realize they've started their own business. Mm. That is the dirty little secret. Okay. Um, in So in my context, uh, I was working for somebody. I was working for Richard Saul Werman, and um, I decided to quit my job for a number of reasons. Um, and, you know, I think the, the biggest reason was I was 20... In my late 20s and my friend wanted to travel for three months and Mm -hmm. I was ready to make a big change in my life. So you you know you have those milestones in life when you realize that you know maybe you need to kind of cut and do something different and differently and uh, so when I came back from traveling uh, I started freelancing Mm -hmm. essentially. I started freelancing Uh, I had a really strong skill i had skills in tech uh, understanding the intersection of design and technology because i joined um the understanding business here in san francisco at a time when technology computers just landed on com- de- on desk on on desks of designers right. it was like photoshop 1.0 illustrator it was like the frontier and there was that was that period where some designers really embraced the technology and some just ran to the hills and i embraced technology so i had this skill set around understanding how technology can make design happen. Mm-hmm. I uh, had real deep understanding of information design and cartography and all these things. And so my, um, when I came back and started freelancing, I was getting a lot of work mm-hmm. based on the things that I was already good at. And what do you do when you're, when you're busy? you ask for help, mm-hmm. so you bring people on, ah, right? So you ask, yeah. you know, you get. how do you scale? Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm busy, I need somebody else to help me. So you. that's how businesses really, a lot of businesses start that way, mm-hmm. which is I need somebody to help me, I'm gonna bring this person on, and then you bring this person on, and like, you look back and go, holy shit, there's a lot of people working yeah. here, yeah. I have to put structure around this, yeah. uh-huh. and then you figure that out. Mm-hmm. So like every company size, when you start with one, and you have like less than five people, you design that experience, you design that company for the five people. Mm -hmm. Then you keep getting busier, hopefully, if you're successful, and suddenly you're 10 or 15. Mm -hmm. That's a completely different way to organize and design a company. So you're going to have to redesign. And then you go up to 35. These are major business milestones. You hit 35 you have a whole nother level of like, maybe you have to bring on managers and you have to bring on a dedicated accountant or you have to have a lawyer, right? Because your risk is higher. And then you're like up to like 75. And it goes up and down, right? Because the economy is so uncertain and you have to be able to be resilient and flex and you have to predict you know when you're going to do really well and you hide money in the mattress when you're hiding <laughs> doing really well and then you use that money when you're doing badly so these are the kinds of natural things yeah. that you figure out when you're thinking about your business as a design problem
1: gotcha. when did you recognize that the skills you learned in um, in school coming up was actually going to help you in that business oh, was it wow. like in the moment or hindsight Rest, looking probably back
3: probably h- hindsight looking back yeah so
1: Drink. You're not
3: <laughs> drinking. <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm far ahead. Jared, you might need, you might need, need yeah, another I'm, drink. Like, you nice <laughs> might up. you might need a refill. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll do it at break. We'll, yeah, do, yeah, <laughs> yeah. we'll okay. do it at <laughs> break. Like right, full, yeah. Yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. I love that Paul, Paul's bringing
3: Paul, Paul's a... bringing us. All right, Thank we got to do the switch. We got to do the switch. Look at you, Jared. You are in trouble. I love it. Are you a lightweight? I'm not. Oh, look, Clearly like, at him. oh look at him. He's <laughs> like sharp.
1: We're that's like right. losing it. Yeah, we're losing so it. I'm what just watching that? you guys play. <laughs> yeah,
3: what was the question? <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> so, one thing that's very interesting is that um, you've worked on interactive projects, websites, yeah. apps since 1993. Yeah. Right? Um, a lot has changed on the web since then, yeah. right? So, what wasn't clear? Right. about design back then in uh-huh. digital design that is clear to us now? Uh-huh. And then as an add-on to that, what do you think is not clear to us right now or at least clear to the industry right now yes. that might make more sense in like a few years from now?
3: Yeah. You know it's really interesting? That um, starting in Interaction Design in 93 and now here we are, what, 20 years yeah. plus later? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of things that are still the same, mm. It's pretty surprising. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, back then it was sort of the wild frontier and one of the reasons why I adapted so quickly to interaction design was because when I was doing information design, when I was designing for print, Mm -hmm. um, It was like in my early 20s. I was working for Richard Worman here in San Francisco. And one of my projects was the U.S. Atlas. It was the first atlas that was ever designed and produced using the computer to film. And the project that it was an atlas of the U.S. And there were 25 people working on this project. Mm -hmm. So 25 unique designers designing maps that had to look like one person did it. Mm So it was incredibly collaborative. It you're not was talking
0: about digital, you're talking about an actual app act, draw, like drawing a drawn map out, using right, a d- Adobe right, Illustrator. Right, right, right. We, would,
3: we created it, Adobe Illustrator like 1.0. <laughs> right. So, you know, so we had a hand like you guys have the ability to like auto curve type. We had to hand rotate type along a curve yeah I I geek out on that yeah you have layers now we had to like do layer manually it was you know we figured those things out but the big takeaway was the value of collaboration and working together as a team and that when I when I transitioned into interaction design it was also a team you know, you're not designing in a vacuum. You're not this solo designer in the corner right. who's taking all the credit. You actually are part of a team, and you have responsibilities, and you have to act like a team because you're creating one thing right. together. That was an easy trend. That was like, oh, I've, I already check, check the box. I know how to do that. And then in terms of like back then in 93, we were all trying to figure out, well, how do you actually make this? happen. How do you design a website? No, There's no book, Yeah, which is why I wrote uh, Elements of Web was, Design. Was the,
0: was the word website weird back then? It
3: was web, yeah. Do you capitalize web or lowercase web? Yeah. No, it was web, worldwide web. Yeah. Incidentally, funny story, my colleague Nathan Shadroff, yeah. who was doing interaction design way before I was when he was running Vivid Studios, and he told me, I'm pivoting from CD-ROMs <sighs> to web And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I was looking at Mosaic. I'm Mm -hmm. like, that shit is never going to take off. It's like, you're, you're, you know, and so like, that's the running joke with it. He's like, I was like, it's never going to take off. But then I started doing websites in 94 and I really loved it because um, it was, required to you were required to collaborate with multiple people. But the other thing that I loved which was different than CD ROMs is that if you understood how to develop how a code, mm. you can design. Mm-hmm. Where in CD ROMs, when you were a designer, you would be like, I want to do this thing and you go to a developer and he'd go, can't be done. Right. And you wouldn't know what you wouldn't know. You wouldn't have any recourse but on the web design if you want to if you know how to code you know what's possible right. you know the constraints so it was incredibly liberating back then yeah. and that still applies here mm. right so there's a lot even though the technology has gotten better and the the promise of the web was always there it was really about timing like when you think about the dot com bust and you think about all those uh, pro- web properties that failed, like pets.com and stuff, it was just because it was too early. Mm. Right? And there was a, I forgot what, which one was the one where it was a shopping site. Su- it was a, Grocery shop site. where It's you, not
0: diapers. Not diapers.com. It's uh, no. I know. That, I do know yeah, one that, was that Instacart. One. Well,
1: not Instacart. No, no. You were know, probably one. weren't even
3: born here. I know. I know. <laughs> You
1: probably uh, don't remember. I'll stop throwing out names. But it
3: was like it was like a site that was actually going. Not
1: to but, Ship yeah.
3: groceries. Yeah. Right. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes, and yes, yes, that
1: was yes, what yes. they told Instacart as a model for not doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. And
3: now <laughs> what are do we doing? Right? right. So it's it's about timing. A lot of this is about timing. Right. So a lot of this is. I feel like we're more in a continuum. Um, Delivery.com,
0: is that? Was that no, it wasn't no? delivery. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, uh, a, somebody's
3: yeah. going to have to post yeah, to that in. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, yeah, so yeah, what yeah. is it? All right, that's, that is for the audience. The homework yes. for YouTube. The homework for the audience. audience.
0: Before we go to break, though, so just yes. real quick. Ooh, we what, have a break. so what? Yes, we do have a break, and we're going to re-up on these drinks. I know, we, we are. Um, so the second part of Jared's question, I just want to make sure we capture that, yeah. because you, you took us down memory lane. Yeah. But what isn't clear to us now, to the industry now, that you think will be clear in the next couple of years
3: in the next couple of years
0: 10 years fine five years whatever you want to. Go.
3: um well i think that we are transitioning from like uh here's what a person needs here's a solution like problem solution kind of experience to uh looking at uh data as the canvas right. and the um the, the sort of the atomic The atoms that will enable us to deliver experiences. So, so we're transitioning now. Where and this is going to have a huge impact on design. Where right now we like use our process, we do our research, we understand what people need, and we're very we're very delivery focused on that. But it's going to be more like what does somebody what is the potential of this product or service, and then what do we need to know about this person to deliver experiences that are direct that can get a result a lot quicker. So I'd look at things like Alexa, right. right? Which everybody's using now. And I love to hear about stories around Alexa. I remember Siri back in the day? Right. That's the world, right? Where technology is so invisible yeah. that they're just, technology is just listening all the time. Yeah. And we have devices now that are listening. And um, it's funny because I see a lot of people in the know who tape their like their camera on the Mac because they know (laughs) either they're the conspiracy theorists or they already they know (laughs) they know that um, the the can the phone the computer is listening and collecting data whether you know it or not, and you can use that for good or evil. Yeah, and so that's going to change the uh, completely the way we think about delivering services to people going to change the way designers are working currently.
0: Yeah, interfaces will become more natural. There'll
3: be zero, zero, zero. interfaces. Right. So that's kind of exciting, and that's why that's I mean I've been doing this. It's scary. Um, hopefully, I'm still hot for my old age. Um, but I've been doing this for over thirty you look years. Great. Thank you. <laughs> you look I look amazing. better. I look better as you start drinking. <laughs> nah. water.
0: Um,
3: but, but uh, I've been doing this for 30 years and it's still really exciting.
2: Yeah.
3: It's still like an amazing ride. I'm still excited to come to work every day. I, the work is not boring at all because technology keeps enabling us to do more things and we have to figure out how to, how to adapt.
2: Yeah. So. For decades, design has impacted how we live. Now it's beginning to shape how we work. Here at IBM, Design Thinking has given us a new framework for teaming, for co-creating with our clients and users. It's helping us make decisions faster, and it's keeping humans at the center of everything we do. Of course, we're inspired by our design program, which is over 60 years old. But today, IBM employs more than 1,300 professional designers, and we've certified more than 60,000 IBMers in the practices of IBM Design Thinking. The result? Diverse teams working more closely than ever with our clients, their users, and our partners to create modern solutions that provide differentiated, human-centered outcomes to the world. We'd love to share this story more closely with you, and I hope to see you soon at one of our IBM studios worldwide. We'd also like to thank our friends at
1: Envision for their support. Envision is the world's leading product design platform, powering the future of digital design through their understanding of the importance of collaboration. They're used by some of the most innovative companies in the world, like Facebook, Capital One, Netflix, and Airbnb. I work with remote teams all the time, and I found that keeping a healthy dialogue is really important. Without it, building strong work relationships gets a lot harder, and that leads to poor collaboration. I've also found that prototypes are a great way for me to show my full vision for a design, and this helps cut down a lot of back and forth. Envision makes all of this really easy. You can rapidly prototype your designs and collaborate across every stage of your project, taking your ideas from concept to code. It simplifies virtually every aspect of the design workflow and makes collaboration a core part of the process for everyone, from project managers to designers, developers, and writers. Teams that build digital products are at a serious advantage when they use Envision's suite of prototyping and collaboration tools. It's the best way to get everyone on board. Visit envisionapp.com slash high resolution for three months free. So you started Hot Studio. Yes. You sold it to Facebook. I did. You were at Facebook for a bit and Mm -hmm. then you came here Autodesk. Yes, I did. What opportunity did you see that brought you to us? Yeah,
3: Um, good question. Good question, Jared. well, at Facebook, first of all, the the transition from host Studio to Facebook was, not, it was crazy, you know, to be, uh, you know, I had run my own company for like twenty years. I never worked for a giant corporation my entire life. I didn't know how to behave. I didn't understand the social dynamics. Um, just like mar- motherhood, I kind of jumped in with a little bit of arrogance and not really realizing just how different and hard it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I jumped into Facebook and I it was hard. I really struggled at Facebook. It's really hard when somebody runs a company for so long, gets to make all the decisions, and then be plopped into a corporation where you're essentially put into a box you know no matter where you are you're put into a box here's your title here's your boundaries and i constantly wanted to push out the boundaries at facebook and i would get questions like well you know good idea but that's not how we do things at facebook which is really hard for an entrepreneur to accept oh, yeah. yeah right so but i learned so much at at facebook i'm you know i you know i learned about how to ship products at scale i you worked with the absolute smartest people in your entire life are at Facebook so I learned a lot there and I was I, I was continuing on but struggling um, just because it's again it's like a completely different landscape and I had never experienced that before and I it was like it was like rip the band-aid off sell your company to Facebook the next day you're at uh, you know you're at Facebook there was no like transition no, no ramp up no transition um so while I was at Facebook, recruiters started calling, which I always found to be incredibly amusing because when I was running hot studio and recruiters would accidentally call me, I would drop every F bomb and I would go so bad. Right. I would be like, you know, stay the fuck away from my people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> scare I know them? who did you, you are. Did you scare them away? I know your name. Yeah. You stay away from my did you, people. Did you block any numbers? Uh, no, but, you know, they stopped calling me. Right. You know, they, they okay. figured out that I was the CEO. Mm. Um, and so recruiters start calling me. Oh, I guess they're not the enemy. Mm. So they would call, and I'd be like, well, I'm staying, I'm you know, I got a thing at Facebook. I got a lot to learn. I got an earnout. You know, I'm there. And uh, a recruiter called, and they said, okay, well, you know, um, we're looking for this role. Mm. They don't tell you the name of the company. I said, look, I will be happy. Happy to give you names You got to tell me what the company is sure. and they said oh, it was autodesk. Ah, oh, Autodesk. I love autodesk mm-hmm. So I have a relationship with the artist first of all Carl Bass who um, is was the CEO of autodesk up until the last couple of weeks uh, I uh, Knew him personally. I knew he was a man of integrity. He's I interviewed him for my book as mm-hmm. a DEO um, and so I I knew him, and I knew him personally, and I knew he would be, like, he would be awesome to work for, right? Because I have a relationship with him. And he's no bullshit. Um, also grew up on the East Coast. So we have that thing together. And then um, also Autodesk was one of my clients at, at uh, when I was running Hot Studio. Mm. So I worked with Autodesk. I knew the people inside the company. I knew how they operated. But I was at Facebook, and there was no way I was going to jump ship prematurely. So um, I said, all right, look, I will love to help you out, but I, it's not going to be me. There's no way I'm going to move. They um, said, will you Will you uh, meet with the hiring manager? His name is Omar Hans-Ball. He runs products at Autodesk. I'm like, I'll meet a Omar bo- a in a bar. <laughs> Which I did. Um, And like I came after work and we met um, at a bar very close here. And then Amar told me that, you know, he's been looking for a design leader, somebody who's going to shake things up, somebody who's going to be a cultural change agent Mm. um, at Autodesk, that the company is at this transition point that they need to move from being, you know, uh, a, a company that ships a hundred products to, and you know, largely a very heavy technology-centered company, to become much more customer-driven, to become more platform-driven. Right. And so the opportunity was, um, you know, find we need a leader, a DEO, who can come in and not only put systems in place, but also contribute to the cultural change the transformation the company inevitably has to go through and so it was a much bigger opportunity and playground for me where I went from to uh, Facebook which has has a plethora plethora
0: plethora, yeah. plethora
3: of design leaders that I would constantly be batting against because they're also amazing they're my peers to being the top dog to kind of drive change here yeah. and so that was the that was the opportunity and it wasn't defined either mm-hmm. so it was a brand new challenge mm-hmm. for me
0: what what was the the hardest part about working with someone like say mark zuckerberg right because because you went from you were calling the shots as we said earlier you were calling the shots at hot studio it yeah your, it was your company you got acquired now you're now you've got a new boss yeah right? and your new boss is like maybe antithetical to everything you are right like you're you're kind yeah. of carefree, like you're energetic, yeah, yeah. you're a ball of energy, you're creative. And like he is super analytical and yeah. also creative, but completely different personality. Yeah. Like how was that relationship? How did you guys it work together? It
3: was, uh, I wasn't close to Mark Zuckerberg, although when I was, uh, they did, There was there's a whole story in terms of when I met him for the first time, him and Cheryl, but I was so intimidated. Mm. I mean, the whole time I was at at uh, Facebook, I had imposter syndrome, wow. which most people at Facebook have, uh-huh. Mo- because you are surrounded by the most amazing people. You're surrounded by so many smart people. Yeah. You all, you, every single person feels like they suck right. at, at Facebook. You know, nice. um, it's and that's that was hard for me mm-hmm. to, but. Um, being in the presence of both of them, that was that's a lifetime uh, experience. I'm never ever going to forget, okay. because Mark is a DEO. Yeah, sure. He's he's breaking the paradigm of what a traditional CEO is. Yeah. And 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 Cheryl as well. Um, and the the two of them together are. Incredibly powerful, and they feed off of each other. Yeah. So the other thing about a DEO is you need to have a very strong number two. Mm-hmm. You, as a DEO, you know what you're great at, and you know what you suck at, and you find a partner who's going to shore up the things that you're bad at, yeah. and and elevate the things that you're great at. And they have a relationship of trust. They are a superpower. They are co-CEOs. Right. Um, and I was totally intimidated by him. And uh, every time I would get in a room, which a lot of people do. You, I, I'd be like, nothing, I'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm talking to you, but I couldn't have How this conversation with Mark. But oh, yeah. He's probably used to that, uh, you know? He's so used funny. to people, like, uh, you know, being intimidated. Right. Um, and because you're surrounded by so many smart people, you are so afraid to open your mouth and say something stupid. Right. So that was that was a really great life lesson for me and the fact that I struggled at Facebook and you know I can look back in retrospect and say oh that was a stupid move or I should have done this or that it was a complete learning experience and now I could tell that story to people who are struggling in their own company right I can tell people who come to me and say you know I'm really like having a hard time at work and I could say I had a hard time at work and here's here's what I realized, here's what I did well, here's what I didn't do well, here's some of my lessons. So the fact that I went through that transition at Facebook and and I don't feel like I did I did I was hugely successful, I also know what it's like not to be in a job that leverages the best of what you have to offer. Mm-hmm. And and there's this quote that I like to say at the end of every talk I give Around the deo which is from Lady Gaga. Do you know it? She's no, I don't. I thought us. you did all the research. I, the, the quote
0: that I heard you say uh, was the Steve Jobs quote. I think. Oh yeah, that, yeah. no,
3: yeah, no. You, I'm disappointed, Bob. Sorry, go on. So Lady Gaga has a song, yeah. and she, in the song, she's like, um, "You were all born superstars. Go and find your own stage." You know that song? You know what? what is it? Is I it which one that. It was I that song? That.
0: Superstar. Is it Superstar? I'm, yeah. I'm like yep. pop deficient. So you are I don't pop like, deficient. So I don't you know. Jared I gets
3: it. What is I it like? I love
0: Taylor Swift. Oh my Swift. God. I love, please come back to Spotify, Taylor Swift. Oh my please. God.
3: Taylor Swift? <laughs> I love Taylor Swift. I don't, I don't She's don't great. Love, I don't love
0: Taylor but, Swift. But lady, I love my, Lady Gaga my too. My 14
3: year old daughter mm-hmm. loves Taylor Swift. oh well, Whoa. I know, that's too young for you.
0: Well, no, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that's not where I was going with that. <laughs> well, listen, okay, I, love, Gaga I love Lady Okay, says Gaga that, right? Yeah. And she
3: said, and it's really about, to me, what I love about that is that everybody has an amazing uh, superpower. They have something to offer in this world. Yeah. And sometimes they don't find it in the job that they have. Mm-hmm. And so you should own up to that. And I really feel like, I don't know how you guys feel, but... As I get, every day I get older and now I'm in my 50s and like people that I love, either I know personally or, you know, people in my uh, generation are dying Mm. and it makes you realize this is the sad part of the, this is the sad part, but you realize how precious life is. You really do. And I do. And I like don't want to waste, I don't want to waste one day. Yeah. In a job or doing something that I don't love to do, so I really want to make sure. Jared dropping dropping stuff. You should cut him off. Yeah, yeah, totally cut him off. No. Look at him. He was the one that said he was he wasn't the uh, he was the, light the lightweight. Yeah, we yeah, were yeah, the, the lightweight. Exactly. We're not dropping it. Well, hold on. I want you
0: to finish your okay. thought because I think okay. you were going somewhere sweet. All right. Like that. Yeah,
3: yeah. I was being very poignant, and then yeah. you screwed it up, I'm, Jared.
0: I'm so sorry.
1: Yeah,
3: but. um you know you you just you have to love what you do every day yeah. and if you're in a, a situation at work where you're not happy yes. you don't have to be in that job you could figure something else out yeah. so I have two kids I have a 14 year old and a 16 year old and my son Max is a junior in high school right now mm. and I I love I love the fact that I, I treat my kids as test subjects I have my whole life Perfect. and so I'm watching and I'm observing him and I and I realize and he doesn't know it. He's in like the thick of grades and and SATs and all this stuff. And I keep reminding him that it's like the at the end of the day, the grades matter a little bit. Right. Right? Because your college, the college that you go to, it gets you your first job, it doesn't get you your second one. Yeah. And it's more about what is the thing in life that you are gonna light up? Yeah. And don't Focus on what you think you should be doing. Yeah. Focus on the thing that you will love to do. Yeah. And kind of coming back full circle, art school. My dad didn't want me to go to art school. He wanted me to go to Yale. Mm. I had the grades to go to Yale. Um, I was one of those people who were really smart, but didn't, but looked like a drug addict. So I really kind of got. I was. I was okay at <laughs> school, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: i was really it took me smart you yeah, that yeah yeah. I, don't, I don't yeah
3: yeah I was like i had looked like a drug addict but i was like i was like in the top 3% of my class right um and I don't, and now I lost my train of thought. Why did I say that? Well, it that? sounds like
0: for you, it was the pedigree of character, not the pedigree of your degree.
3: Yeah, you, right? f- like yeah, oh man, my father wanted me to go to law school, yeah. and he's like, you're going to throw away your life going to art school. Right. And of course, I disagree with everything my father said, which is what your job is right. to do in life. That's
0: what you did in the 70s. Yeah. You disagreed with yeah, your Yeah, you
3: disagree. Yeah. Um, and... Um, and so I got a, I sold he wasn't alive when I sold my company in Facebook mm. but he was alive when I grew my company to be 100 people and he was so blown over that mm. this girl who had an art degree a BFA mm, awesome. at Cooper Union was running this crazy large 20 million dollar company yeah. so you know that's that's what I try to impart on my kids that it's like you know you got to find the thing mm-hmm. And then, and then you'll be okay.
1: Yeah. So it seems that you kind of found a thing here at Autodesk. Yeah,
3: found my thing right yeah. now.
1: And you mentioned that the role you played was, or the role that was pitched to you was that of a change agent, right? So what did your first six months look like here? Yeah. What did you prioritize?
3: I treat every problem like a design problem. So I joined the company, and um, incidentally, uh, I when I got an offer at Autodesk, when they they said we want you, and I said I can't leave until X number of months mm-hmm. in the future, mm-hmm. we did not sign any paperwork. We shook hands, which was amazing. <laughs> in today's age, mm-hmm. is like it's like I he's like they you know we want you. You're the right person. We've been looking for somebody like you, and I'm like I can't leave until this date. Wow. And it was months and months, mm-hmm. and they basically waited. That's awesome. And it was no paperwork. It was like, I signed paperwork when I quit my job. So that setting, that was already like set up this incredible relationship with my boss, which was based on trust and, you know, being a person of their word. Mm -hmm. Like we had a gentleman's agreement going in. So already starting, it was on a good foot because we trusted each other. Or a
0: ladies' agreement.
3: Yeah, ladies, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um... And, um, and then he's like, okay, what are you, you going to do? What's your plan? I said, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I said, give me three months. And so what I did was um, I did, I, you know, what good designers do? You do your research. Yeah. And so I spent three months traveling the world yep. and hanging out in offices all over the world mm-hmm. and talking to as many people who would talk to me. So there are what eight thousand people at Autodesk. I spoke to hundreds in a short period of time, and I spoke to. I'm a VP. That's kind of a big fucking deal at Autodesk. But I didn't. I don't go around like with a big like I'm a VP kind of thing, right? Mm. Um, I would sit in. I would sit in uh, in lunch rooms. I would hang out with people, and they're like, "What is this VP doing? Oh my God!" Right. So the first thing I did when, when when Amar asked me. So you're here now, what are you gonna do? I'm like, I don't know. I said, I said I'm gonna treat every problem like a design problem, and every good designer does their research. Yeah. So before I have preconceived notions, I'm going to give me three months to form a a point of view. And so I traveled all over. Autodesk has offices all over the world. There's 8,000 employees in in Autodesk. And I just like, I want to interview everybody. But, you know, didn't have time to interview 8,000 people. So what can I do in three months? Which was several hundred people. And I would go and I would sit in kitchens. And people like, there's a VP here. Like, there's that you know, in corporations, again, traditional corporations. When you're a VP, that's a very big deal, and there's yeah. a certain there's a certain um, expectation of how VPs behave. And I had the antithesis of that. Right. Mm-hmm. I would just like my job is to, as a designer, is to get people coming full circle back to that point where you're having a human conversation, right. where you get people so comfortable that they feel like they could talk to you openly. Would have without having to second guess or, or think about the answer to the question, so I get people to a real comfortable zone, and I would and I and I made sure that I had a really good sample size from um, CEO all the way down to internship, mm. um, from one product org to the other. I just did a really good and I, I and I traveled all over the world and I would ask a few questions consistently, right? Because that's what designers do. So the first question I would ask is, tell me your story. Mm. So before anything, I would get them to, I want them to understand that we're having a human conversation. So I get them to tell their story. They get to really like, what? I didn't expect that. I'm like, I don't care about, tell me like, go back as far as you want. Where were you born? (laughs) And like, so people would tell me all of these stories about them. And then it would get the conversation like, except like less of an interview and more like, this is who I am. And uh, here's my passion. So I get them there, get them all comfortable, and then I'd be like, "What keeps you up at night?" So they're already safe, and they will tell me what their problems are. They feel like they can disclose without repercussions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and I heard all sorts of things. And then I would say, "What are your hopes and dreams? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you here? Why, why are you still here?" A lot of people at Autodesk are here for years, so I wanted to understand why people are still here. You know, and the work's always interesting, and the technology's always changing, and people are really curious, and their hopes and dreams were really authentic in terms of why they're here. What is your purpose? It's Mm. not to collect a paycheck, you know. Um, Although some people it is. They're probably not here anymore, right? Because you weed those people out. And then... um, so, what keeps you up at night? What are your hopes and dreams? And then finally, my answer, my question would be, how can I help you? Mm. So, rather than how are you going to help me, it's much more, how am I? How can I? What my presence here help you mm. achieve those hopes and dreams? And that those were really powerful conversations. And then I collected all the data, like designers do, and you analyze it, you look for patterns, and then I was able to look at the pain points yeah. i articulate them and then turn them into uh, a mission statement mm-hmm. and so looking at all the pain points i now was able to articulate back what my job why i'm here yeah. right yeah. so the, there's four so the very first one was building a strong design community right. so i'm here to unify and unionize the designers which are about 400 people across the entire world Mm -hmm. to realize that there is a community there that they are powerful and strong and that design matters here. Mm -hmm. So connect those designers, invite other people in and say you're designers too. So really build that muscle in changing the conversation like we talked about from design being a noun that a few people do to a verb that everybody does. So that was the first layer. Then the next and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So you start with the culture. Then the second thing was how do you focus on customer centricity mm-hmm. and make people realize that we're serving very specific people's needs. Like rather than, you know, designing and solving for the technology or understanding the business goals, which are all part of the, the, the uh, solution set, you have to really... Know your customers better yeah. right and and you have to understand their anxieties and their pain points, and a lot of things that uh, you you have to uh, have the foresight to really understand the problem. I used to say there's the problem that your customers tell you, and your job is to understand the real problem, which they're not gonna tell you, right? So how do you get to that lens? So focusing on customer centricity, and get everybody on board that if you're designing products, you should be actually talking directly to customers. A lot of developers don't feel like that's their job. It's everybody's job to Interface and work directly with customers, so that kind of change, yes. and and b- building research as a not as a nice to have, but a must have. And we got a long way to go, but it's really about strengthening research as a muscle and as a discipline here at, at Autodesk. Yes. Then the third tier, which is the one that I'm in right now, which is co- uh, connecting experiences. So. We're really moving from a company that ships over 100 products a year to customers to becoming a platform customer and and understanding the connective tissue between our customers' work streams and workflows. So rather than being very vertical, I'm in AutoCAD and these are the things I do and then i you know i'm going to actually move into this other product and these are the things this product do- does it's like what's the pro- what's the customer's journey how do we help enable them how do we break the walls down of products and think about serving a customer like you know uh, in a in a seamless way so programs that we're driving now which is like a uni- like a hig uh, mm. pattern library like what designers love to do mm. is like you know so that's the big thing now is like Having a unified point of view of what it means to be an Autodesk product right. versus being AutoCAD or Revit. That's what I'm working on now. And then on the very top is shipping quality. So you can't talk about shipping better quality until you fix all the other things. Yes. So at the end of the day, we have to ship better experiences for our customers. Yeah. And so what does that mean? How do you define quality? How do you measure it? Yeah. How do you teach people what the quality bar is? Um, so that's the other thing. So... Uh, to recap, mm-hmm. building communities, focusing on customers, connecting experiences, and shipping quality, and so that has been my platform since since the the three months in. Yeah, and then I build programs to support all four of those things, yeah. and I create work streams across the company.
0: So I. I have a quick question about how your designers design. I we have like so many more questions for you. We just don't have time. We
3: could keep going. We
0: we this we... could be
3: like part three.
0: <laughs> it's
3: not like you're running out of film.
0: <laughs> well, no, but we are. Yeah, bad battery. That's the yeah. Oh,
3: Paul's very tired.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. So. Okay. You guys do something pretty special at Autodesk. Yeah. right? So, it, this is. It's different for you because you come from a lineage of, I mean, you're classically trained in, in art and design. Yeah. And then the agency that you started yep. was focused on websites, apps, that sort of yes. thing. You went to Facebook, social apps. Yes. Right? Now you're here at Autodesk. Mm-hmm. Autodesk isn't, Autodesk is building the apps Yes. for people that build the world.
3: Yes, exactly. Right?
0: So. How? What? Like? What? What are your? How do your designers inform their design decisions? Are they all industrial designers and software know, designers? Like really, how does that work?
3: It's really like that's the other thing. It's like complexity on steroids here, right? right? Be- and because we create the software for people who make things, right? Right, and that's like, that's architects, that's um, engineers, all flavors of engineers, yeah. people on in on the in the construct in construction, yeah. right? There's manufacturing, right. people who are actually product design, and then people in factories who are like mm-hmm. drilling holes, mm-hmm. uh, additive and subtractive manufacturing, 3D. I grew up in a 2D world. Sure. I didn't grow up in a 3D mm-hmm. world. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the learning curve is huge, yeah. right? And uh, that was the one thing I was really afraid. It was I was excited because I'm learning, again, I'm in my 50s and I'm learning all about 3D, and, the, and that's, that whole industry is transforming. Yeah. But I was also like really intimidated because you have people who have incredible deep knowledge. Yeah, no kidding In idea. order to design those products, mm. you have to really understand your customers mm-hmm. and it's like really deep, complicated stuff, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and so you have to be, first of all, you have to acknowledge the fact that if you're not working specifically on a product, You're never going to have the deep context to make design decisions that are very detailed. Right? So, and I don't have 400 people reporting to me. I have 15 people reporting to me. Right. And a large part of my job, which is exciting and a challenge, is they don't report to me. Mm -hmm. So I have to, like, entice them to, they have to believe in my mission. Mm -hmm. They have to believe in the collective. Yeah. They have to unionize around my ideas. But at the end of the day, they report up to their product teams. Right. So it's a very interesting, um, it's a it's a challenge. Yeah. And it's a conflict, but it's a healthy conflict for the most part. Sometimes we have fights. But, but it's a healthy conflict that you have practice, which is a cross, yeah. and product, which is vertical. Mm-hmm. And you need both of those. Yes. You need people who can go incredibly deep, and make decisions based on what they know about the customer. And then you need people who are incredibly broad, the T-shaped model, who can connect the dots. Yeah. So I live in this world of like connecting and context. Yeah. And then I have to rely on people to be really beholden to their customers and understand their customers' deep context. Yeah. And so the people who work directly on products, which is essential, they have to have be, have be experts in the field yeah. but it's it is it's huge and so it's overwhelming yeah. it's very complex. We create really powerful products and powerful software but I do not believe our products have to be overly complicated. Sure. I believe that it's really easy to deliver complexity. Sure. It's really hard to deliver simplicity. No, so a, a big part of my job is to challenge the um, amount of complexity that our products have. I feel like in the old product world, like enterprise product world, you would ship a product and then you would spend a lot of time training people how to use the system. My my goal is to remove the training. Oh. We sh- Our product should be so e- intuitive that you don't need somebody to like spend like 40 hours to, tr- to, to learn yeah. how to use the tool. Yeah. So if you do, if they have to, and they are already subject matter experts in their own domain we're not doing we're doing a disservice to our customers sure. so i will constantly uh, try to weigh the level of complexity is necessary for the products mm-hmm. but i challenge everybody at autodesk to be a lot more uh, uh, to to um, to be much more surgical strike in terms of when to expose complexity and when to hide it gotcha. and to make sure that you're giving people what they need when they need need it not to give them like traditional software yes. which is traditional software right yes. like you open up photoshop boom and the 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 product does not know anything about who you are mm-hmm. what your level of skill is so they give you I would say they give you a 10 course meal all at the same time. Sure. Yeah. We have to build products because we know who you are, we know what you did before, yeah. we know what you need to next. Here's what here's here's all the things you need to do to make a decision. Yeah. That's where we have to go. Yeah. And that's changing product design, yeah. and, and so that's what's exciting. That's a
0: big, I mean, that, that, just, that right there is I think a big idea for the industry as a whole, not just Autodesk, yeah. right? building context and, and kind of personal awareness into yeah. products.
3: Using a machine learning yeah. and artificial intelligence yeah. in ways in which to help people make exactly. mo- yeah. to unlock their creativity, yes. Yes. right? When you have to learn a product, you're not leveraging your creativity. Yeah. So how do you make it so easy for them so they can like step out and really think about things that they haven't thought of before? How does that software enable them to come up with a big idea sure. um, and remove the learning curve?
0: Well. We unfortunately now need to go to community questions. You drank. I know. You're out. You're out. I'm out. Believe me, I'm. <laughs> How are you feeling? I'm, I'm well in. Whew, I am buzzing. Right. <laughs> How
3: are you feeling, Garrett? I'm
0: feeling good. Gee, I, I just want to also point out that we probably-
3: I feel like I'm the most sober person, which is very shocking. <laughs> I think Incredibly gone, shocking.
0: I, what is shocking is we've gone an entire hour without actually describing the DE, like what DEO stands and for, and this baby. Um,
3: oh yeah, so, we didn't talk yeah, about the green so, baby.
0: So before we get to the baby, the what, what is DEO? Just spell it out for us.
3: Design executive officer. Yeah, yeah. And people ask me all the time, why the word DEO? Why not CDO? And I'm like, it's all the same, same stuff. Yeah. But the reason why I was very clear about the DEO is because like a CDO, a CMO, all those they're still second tier. No, nah, the nah. DEO
0: is clean. It's yeah. much cleaner. CEO
3: is like the. Designer, I'm yes. going to say it. the fucking designer yeah. is the CEO. Mm. You know, or and and then I tell people it's not. This isn't about being the CEO. It's about exerting, feeling like you're the D, sure. you're the CEO. Yeah. Like the, having you can be a DEO in every level of the organization. It's right. leveraging those skills as an intern, as a middle manager, as you know, whatever. But it's like shoot for the CEO title. Don't don't. Yeah. Don't though, you know. Don't feel like designers can't aspire to that.
0: All right, we're we're gonna go to community questions next. we we gotta go. We baby. gotta go to community questions. You can't next. Can't talk about so, just real quick, what's give the us a rapid baby, the give us a rapid baby. fire. Give us the rapid oh, fire. Oh, well, what's that I'm, baby? Baby. I'm telling you, we're, we're like an hour and, <laughs> and a half into this thing. We're, I know. Go what is the, the green, green baby.
3: The green baby.
0: Okay, what is the green baby?
3: <laughs> okay, so there's this amazing company, design company that I work with, uh Albertson Design. Yeah. Uh, who helped me design, who did the visual design of this book. Mm -hmm. And I'm, like, the worst client because I'm a designer. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine what hard-ass I was Mm -hmm. about, like, the design of this book. Um, Anyway, so the cover is always the most contentious thing um, when you're designing a book. Mm -hmm. And I was just, like, he would show me uh, these uh, comps, and I'd be, like, every week. And and he'd get increasingly frustrated because I'm, like, I love the typography, there's something missing, you need something, and I could tell he was getting really, and we, don't, we would have to meet on the weekends, because I had already sold my company to Facebook, so I could only work on the weekends yeah, to do this book. Our day job. I was halfway through the book when I sold my company. So he had to meet me on the weekends, the guy had a life, and I would go to his house, and um, one day I showed up, and you could tell he was at his wits end with me, it was like 10 a.m., eleven A.M. I come and I show up in his studio and he's drunk. Mm. Like, you know, like he he was like starting drinking early and I was like, oh fuck, this guy's drunk. (laughs) And um and uh and he had the cover up. Mm. And he had this cover like on the wall. And I was like and you know, I didn't like it. Right. And I was like, what the fuck's this baby? It's (laughs) green baby. What, what, you know, it's, a, it's
0: like a little jaundiced baby. It's yeah. a fat
3: green baby. What were you thinking, right? Yeah, and so great. then you use, then you go to the art director, like yeah. speak. Conceptually and directionally, I like it. Right? You, know, like you, you, know, you, know, you throw that on, yeah, right? Yeah, give him a shit yeah. sandwich. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. You like you use the language, which was directionally I like it. But you know, in the head, you're saying this is shit, yeah.
1: right?
3: But you're like, I I like where you're going, but help me understand what your rationale is. You know, yeah, yeah. that bullshit, right? Yeah. You know, of course he. Is a designer, so he knew what I was doing too. And then I started drinking.
0: <laughs> and and you like You know, it.
3: like this is coming full circle. And I'm yeah. a lightweight, yeah. like you are. Cause you're smiling like crazy. <laughs> yeah. And like in like a half an hour, I'm drunk, yeah. and he's drunk, yeah. and I'm like. Oh, I love that cover. (laughs) That's like a brilliant cover. That was like an amazing cover. That is awesome. And that was it. And then I loved, I was drunk and I loved the cover. And then I like take a picture and I send it to Christopher Ireland, Mm -hmm. who's not drunk. She's somewhere else. And she's like you know, I trust you, but I'm kind of like questioning Conception.
2: your... your <laughs> you
0: know, I'm yeah.
3: questioning why you love this cover so much, but yeah. she went with it. Okay. Yeah. And so the publisher also went with it too. Like, I don't know where you're going with I this. Think so I, I, think, I think it's different. Yeah. I think it's kind of cool. And, and so that's that was, it comes full circle. We started yeah. drinking and like, you know, at the end of the day, if you need to make a decision on a cover of your book... Take a shot. Get Take a shot.
0: <laughs> okay, listen, we gotta go to community oh, questions. You gotta we gotta go. gotta do it.
3: Community so questions. We've got, we've
0: got community questions. We've got five questions we wanna get through with you. Our community reached out to us and they mm. said, oh God, I'm feeling so loose. I'm feeling so fired <laughs> up. Okay. Um, our community. Yeah. They reached out to us and they gave us five questions. What's that are the hardest one on that up. list? It's the last one. It's okay. the, well, I don't know. Don't I th- actually say, think you're going to find the last one pretty easy. Okay, all right. Uh, just, you have a lot of context. None of these are hard. Okay. These are, yeah. these are all fun. I'm, uh, I'm going like to get A's and
3: B's on these so. questions. Okay. You're not
0: going to get graded, but everyone answers them. <laughs> <Yeah>. Everyone <laughs> yeah. answers them, all okay. right? So the first fun question fun. is, how do you explain the role of design to people at Autodesk?
3: Mm. Well, I think we kind of covered that a lot in that um, I invite them into the process, and I tell them they're part of the process, they're part of design, okay. that you're not you're not it's not a separate thing it's just like if you're responsible for shipping product guess what you're a designer welcome to the team (laughs) yeah
1: the second question is how is the design team organized at Autodesk
3: yeah they um, you know they there's no centralized like I don't have everybody rolling up into into me um, which I think is a good thing because our products are so complex and complicated the designers all roll up into the different product organizations. So there are f- currently four different product orgs, and in each org there's multiple products. So we have a we have product owners, product line leaders, and they're my peers. And so I work with the product line leaders, and then each one of them has a senior designer who reports directly to them. And I think of them as sort of the board of directors, and I work with them on setting sort of design policy at Autodesk, if you will. And then they then have autonomy in terms of how they run their different groups. Right.
0: Um, When you're the only designer at a business, how do you convince the leadership of that business of the value of design?
3: Um, I, I think we also covered that in that you should never feel like you have to convince somebody about the value of design. You just basically have to assume that you're equal Mm -hmm. And that you ask questions that are very much driven. So you don't even like, you don't even say like design doesn't get any respect in this world. It's more like speaking their language. Who are our customers? How are we serving them? You know, how do we make, you know, like what's the relationship to the value that we're giving them? What is the business giving them? And what are we asking for in return? What's the value exchange? So it's really about not at all trying to like defend design, but to kind of... Realize that you have a superpower and you just basically focus on the customer's needs
1: Cool, the next question is how should a designer or how do designers measure and present the results of their work at Autodesk?
3: Uh, Yeah, it I think with, with anything that you do any any Activity that you do you have to understand the intent of that activity and the outcome that you're looking for right so every every decision that we make you should always ask the question of, what does success look like? Mm-hmm. How do we know when we're successful, mm-hmm. right? Because the metric will change based on the thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think designers have to realize that, that there has to be, you have to be moving the needle and there's there's qualitative information that you might have to gather, which is like using, uh, you know, talking to people and gathering information in a non-linear way. And then there are tools to gather Um, uh, quantitative information. Mm -hmm. So being clear on why you're doing it, the outcome that you expect, and how you know you've been successful, then you can put the measurements in place to prove that you've been successful or not. And if you're not successful, you're like, okay, this didn't work. How do we pivot? So uh, the other thing about designers is they have to be adaptive. And we didn't talk about this, but failure is good. I fully expect, I'm in my second, moving into my second year of Autodesk, like I said, I'm not the shiny new person anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be like knocked down like you cannot believe this year. Mm-hmm. It's There's a great book by Seth Godin called The Dip, mm-hmm. where you kind of like, everybody has that exciting moment, and then you hit this plateau, and then you dip, mm-hmm. and you either will crash and burn, right. or you gather your stuff up, and you will take stock and soar, yeah. and you have to be prepared for that and adapt and be okay. And you should you should feel empowered to say I fucked up,
0: yeah. you know? Or we fucked up.
3: Or we fucked up. Yeah. And it's okay. It's like we fucked up, but here's how we learned and here's how we're changing.
0: So we can end with this last question. Okay. Um, and then the condition of us Shutting everything Is down this going to be like, what's your must, favorite
3: curse word? Like the guy not, from not, the not Actors your, Studio? Not
0: your, not your favorite. No, this is actually a good. This is a good question. I <laughs> think it's going to be really. Oh, that's, that's an interesting question too. Um, <laughs> all
3: right.
0: Okay. So, as the function of design continues to evolve, yeah. What are some roles and methodologies that you think will emerge over the next five years?
3: Well, I'm really interest. Like this whole idea of zero interface and machine learning.
0: Yeah.
3: Is because you have to be more predictive. Mm. Like, we were talking about, like, here's the problem, here's how we solve it. Mm-hmm. That's changing the way designers have to, because you have to anticipate. Yeah. Like, you have to plan for machine learning.
0: Yeah.
3: That's going to change the way we're thinking about design and the way we're going to collect data yeah. to get to the thing. So ha- so that's, that's still uncharted territory. Yeah. And then AI, AR, we talked about VR, but AR where, you know, you have this mixed reality. Oh, yeah. That's it's cool. cool shit yep. that people <laughs> yeah. are, just, are just touching now. Yeah. And so it's a new frontier.
0: And then before we end, what is your favorite curse word? Hey, you made it to the end. Congratulations. Thanks for watching the episode. I really, really hope you liked it. If you did like it, please leave us a review on the iTunes store. And by the way, if you have any questions that came up because of the content that, that we covered, with our guests, go on YouTube, go on Twitter, you can tweet us, you can leave us a comment, we'll get back to you, we'll help you as much as possible. At Hi-Res Podcast, that's the, the screen name or the handle for Twitter, for Instagram, for Facebook, find us, talk to us, we wanna converse with you. Uh, we're not gonna leave here, by the way, without also thanking our friends at Searle Video. They've been an amazing partner on this entire project. So Searle Video is a creative studio based out of Portland, Oregon. They've helped creative communities tell stories for over 10 years. They've done advertisements, behind the scene footage, um, and documentaries for companies like Google, Slack, XOXO Festival, Adobe, Intel. They're incredible. They've traveled with us through the entire country documenting these stories with our guests. That's incredible. Thank you so much, Searle. Listen, if you're a startup looking to elevate your product, If you're a big company looking to humanize your brand, if you're someone in the creative community who just wants to tell a story, you've got to check out the team at Searle Video. It's searlevideo.com, S-E-A-R-L-E video.com. Check out our friends at Searle. Thank you so much, guys. You guys have been incredible on this project.